We will be looking at Second uh, Samuel 5 and First Chronicles 14. As you know, practically the same uh, accounts are given, same account is given. And so we're just doing them both at the same time. Second Samuel 5, 17 through 25, and First Chronicles 14, 8 through 17. David has his, as king, has his first encounter with the Philistines. There's a spiritual lesson here that really runs its, runs its course all the way through the Old Testament. And in another sense, but sort of in the same way, runs itself through the New Testament era in the church era, even to where we are today. And it's this, and we are taught this. A spiritual warfare exists. The warfare basically comes down to Satan's opposition to Christ. All of the Old Testament is moving in accord with the promise of a savior known as the seed of woman given in Genesis 3. And so we start galloping through the genealogies of the Old Testament in Genesis um, and even beyond, but in Genesis and you will see one portion of humanity go so far and the genealogy doesn't go any farther because it isn't the lineage of the Christ. Survive, and you know, the world is growing and swelling and the nations are expanding, but there's this one genealogy of humanity, this one line of humanity that carries the promise of the Christ. And of course, the Christ is the savior and ultimately the redeemer of all creation. The world challenges that promise. And Satan works his opposition through the nations in the Old Testament. Now, they're known as the Gentiles. It means the nations. Israel, carrying the promise of the Christ, is always attacked, it seems, in some way, by the rest of the world. Generally, they're always at a disadvantage from a human perspective. But now, this thing has been narrowed down to the house of David. It isn't just Israel anymore. It isn't just Judah within Israel anymore. It's now the house of David. The world, according to the scriptures, has developed. And we've talked about how history books would show other parts of the world as doing the things that are important, but they don't have eternal importance. 
They fade. They come and go. And the only relevance they have to the Bible story is what their effect is and how God uses them regarding Israel. That's their only relevance. Now, for the first time, Israel becomes united. God has a covenant that he establishes with David regarding the Christ, the Messiah, the promised seed of woman. And you find that covenant, that promise that goes from generation to generation generally, although from time to time it'll skip many, many, many generations. And the last of those is the Davidic covenant. So he will be the son of David, this Messiah. Of course, this garners the attention of Satan, God of this world, God of this age, who controls these nations through their demon deities, the Elilim, the, the power of, of demonic forces which dupe the nations in the Old Testament, the other nations dupe them into worshiping them as gods. And most of the time they are worshiped as local gods. That is to say one nation will have its chief God and another nation will have its chief God. But the, the God that arises henceforth from the time of David especially is Baal, Baal. And then there's Dagon, an offshoot of that. And Dagon is the God of the Philistines. We've already seen an account in our study of 2 Samuel, or of Samuel in general, and 1 Chronicles, of how the Philistines, once they, one time, we already saw this, one time they defeated, and it was before Saul became king, they defeated Israel, and they credited their God with that, and they took the Ark of the Covenant and put it on display in their temple, the temple to their God, and that didn't work out well for them. But it's like a match between gods in this Old Testament story. <clears throat> Ultimately, in the minds of the people of that day and that era, it was a test of the strength of their god or gods. It was the same way in Egypt. And of course, the plagues came and in Exodus, we saw how God simply overwhelmed all of this superstition and this, this demonic, um, demonic possession and oppression and, uh, and, and the belief in gods and all these things. That keeps going. Satan, of course, is behind it. At this point in time, it would be Dagon of the Philistines. David carries the promise of the Christ and this has the attention of hell. With that in mind, we start the study of David, of course, he's now become king of all of Israel. So let's look at this. The Philistines make their move against David. 
And the Philistines heard that they anointed David as king over Israel. In other words, the Philistines in their network of intelligence has learned that all of Israel, all of the tribes have become united. Now you and I have seen also in this account how these thousands of warriors from each tribe came and they all came together. The Philistines really didn't have that much to worry about as Israel was in the time of the judges and they were kept under, under wraps, I guess you'd say. They were oppressed severely, mistreated cruelly, and at the appropriate time, God would raise up a leader, a judge, and they could escape the oppression and then they would collapse back into their sin and, and, and their oppression again. Samuel is the last judge. Saul is the first king. And Saul has had limited success against the Philistines, but it was that final war, that last war of his that got him. He, however, did not have the popular support that David receives once Saul is dead and once Saul's son who was sort of a fake king uh, for just a while, once he's dead as well. So now the chief officers of Saul and all the armies that they lead and the warriors of the various tribes, they've all come together and they have formed a formidable army, the army of Israel. Then there are these legendary, we'll learn more about them as we go through. We, we've already touched on them a little bit. There are these legendary mighty men of David who were, who were the greatest warriors in the world and one of them could wipe out dozens or even hundreds of the enemy in a, in a battle. The Bible talks about that. So they were the most, they were the closest around David when they would go to war. David himself was a warrior. But the thing of note to the Philistines is we're going to have to do something about this because the Israelites, now they're united. They have a king. They're all together, the greatest warriors of each tribe. When they were split into different tribes and they had all their bickering and problems, they weren't so much of a threat, but now they're a threat to us. So early, early on, they make the decision to attack David. The Philistines heard that they anointed David as king over Israel. Israel is the elect of God in the Old Testament and David is the Israelite who possesses the covenant. If David's family can be wiped out, then, then the promise of the, then God's a liar and the, the promise of the Christ is wiped out and the story of redemption is just demolished. Of course, God won't let that happen. But you have to keep this in the back of your mind to know that God is going to bring Jesus into the world. And all of this is leading to it. That's the whole purpose, in my view, of the Old Testament. The development of the promised redemption of, of God through his Christ and the development and the appearance and the work 
of his Christ who appears and comes and accomplishes an, an eternal work of redemption. And all the Philistines went up to seek David and David heard of it. He had his own intel, you know. David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. And the Philistines came and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. David inquired of Yahweh. Now this, this separates David from Saul. Traveling with David is the high priest and, and the prophet. So David inquired of Yahweh saying, shall I go up to the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? Now take note of the phrase go up. That's from a Hebrew word that means a frontal attack. I'm just going to rush at them and take them on right where they are. Mono imano. Shall I attack the Philistines? And will you deliver them into my hand? And Yahweh said to David, go up, frontal attack, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hand. So the high priest possesses the Urim and the Thummim. Of course, the prophet is close to God, but David listens and they all pray and David hears. And in the way that God had promised through the Urim and Thummim, I'm, I'm sure, the high priest, God makes his will known. It's going to be okay. You go after them. Just run right into them and attack them. I've put them into your hands. Now, here's the way it reads in First Chronicles. The Philistines came and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. David inquired of Elohim, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines, and will you deliver them into my hand? And Yahweh said to him, Go up, and I shall deliver them into your hand. The victory is assured. This is the practice of David. To do the will of God. It's, it's, a, it's a foreshadowing of God the Son in his time on earth doing the will of the Father. One of the most important things to, re, to remember in the Gospels is that what Christ did, he did according to the will of the Father. And he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it was the will of the Father, the execution of the will by the Son, empowered by the Spirit. This is how that works. Christ is not going to do anything outside of that. That's why it's silly, really, to read some of these pseudo-gospels, you know, I don't know. Sometimes people try to bring up the gospel of Thomas and, and that the church early on decided that some of this stuff just shouldn't be in the hands of people because they would lose control. And so we're going to knock out this book and that book and then and we're not going to let them see this gospel. Well, that's ridiculous. We live in a day where research is deeper and more accurate than it ever has been. And it's easily seen that so much of that is a later, a later writing. You can even tell by the kind of ink that's used and the kind of material on which it's written. So it's not a big deal, but I said all that to say this, the gospel of Thomas, I think it's the gospel of just one of those pseudo, pseudo pedaphrical writings, uh, 
where he talks about a boy, Jesus, a little boy, Jesus, who gets into a mud puddle and fashions a little, a little man and blows on him and the little man becomes alive. Well, that's stupid. That would not, that was not the will of the father and he was not empowered by the Holy Spirit. None of that comes till he's 30 and the, and the spirit descends on him. So, but anyway, back to, back to what I'm saying, David sort of foreshadows Christ in this sense. He seeks the will of God. Now he's not always this way because he's not Christ, but in his best days, he seeks the will of God and won't do anything until he understands what God would have him to do. And in this case, God says, frontal assault, you show up and just run at them and I will deliver them into your hand. Now this comes from a Hebrew phrase and we'll see what this is all about in the next, in this section. David came to Baal Peretzim. David smote them there. And he said, Yahweh has broken mine enemies before me like the breach of waters. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal Peretzim because Yahweh broke the power. He broke through Baal. He broke it. There was no power of Baal. And they forsook their images. These are the Philistines. And David and his men burned them. David so routed them that wherever they had set up a place of worship to call on their God to help them and whatever little deities they may have had hidden in their saddlebags on their camels or whatever, they just forsook the whole thing. David, David and his men gathered it up, burned them, completely destroyed anything that looked like Baal. And they went up to Baal Paratzim and David smote them there. This is from 1 Chronicles, same thing. David said, Elohim has broken my enemies in my hand like a breach of waters. Therefore they named that place Baal Paratzim. And they abandoned their deities there and David commanded and they were burnt with fire. This was a, this was an act of worship. It was an act of victory. It was, it was a demonstration, a major demonstration of the power of Yahweh. Because at one time the Philistines were able to capture the Ark of the Covenant, we studied that and there was a reason why God was displeased and he allowed that to happen. The Philistines thought that their God was on the level of Israel's God, obviously not. So everything that looked like Baal was gathered and burned with fire. It was a demonstration of the great victory of God over another nation who worshiped another deity. Now we're refined, it seems, so-called, and I put refined in quotation marks, in the modern era because we have 
um, what psychoanalyzed ourselves. We we have we have uh, invented and created human philosophy and uh, human behavior that is in stark contrast to the word of God, but having forsaken the belief of God in the modern era, this behavior, same kind of behavior that these people did, but they called it worship back in those days. Same kind of behavior, but we're too smart to think that it's a a God or a religion. We just do it on our own. Um, It's the same thing, same demonic influence, same demonic oppression, demonic possession, uh, same system of the world. There's an interesting, I've mentioned this before, I'm sure, but in, in Genesis chapters 10 and 11, we have, of course, the Tower of Babel and the Table of Nations. The Table of Nations is given, and then why there were nations is explained in the Tower of Babel confounding languages and they sent them off and they, they just were forced to separate as, as tribes of people and they went off into different lands. And then Genesis 10 explains, this is a nation, these are the nations, they went here, this nation, that nation. And all the, all the people of the world, after having come from the three sons of Noah, can find their way from whence they came among, those, among that table of nations. The explanation of the, the creation of nations like that in, in, the, in the early history of man is that at the Tower of Babel, led by a type of the Antichrist, the people gathered together and decided they could make their own way to heaven. And they, they had man-made material, brick and so forth. They didn't use rocks and stones, the material of, of Yahweh. They, in their mind, they made their own way. They were going to make it look the way that they wanted it to look. And they started this project. And this project was under the spirit of Antichrist, if you will. God stopped it. He confounded it. And then the nations split off. But there's an interesting sentence. It talks about Nimrod, who was the king of Babel, which is Babylon. And the Bible says the beginning of his kingdom was at Babel. Now, you don't see an end to Babylon. Babylon is this um, what mindset, worldview, whatever you want to call it, that leaves God completely out. That's Babylon. And they create their own way, their own religions and so forth. And you don't see the end of it until you get to the tribulation and the revelation. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. So we're still working or laboring under the attack of mystery Babylon, under the control of Satan. And when you study it all the way through and see how it's destroyed in the revelation, 
you will see that there is a, there is a religious control. There is a social cultural control and there is a, uh, there is a, an economic control. And then to an extent, there's a military control. And those are the forces that, of course, are gathered under the Antichrist himself in the Revelation. And it's when Babylon gets destroyed, all of those things begin to collapse. And, and then, of course, Christ comes and defeats the forces of the world at, at Armageddon in his glorious coming. In a, in, a, in, a, in a sense, along the way, they didn't realize that, but the Philistines are just part of the kingdom of Babel. You know, they're just part of Antichrist. They're part of the opposition to God. It culminates in their culture with the glorification and deification of a false god. Baal is, is one of them, and he would be the chiefest of all of them. And they counted on this. Today, it's not much different. If people go to war or they take up a cause and the cause is godless, and the people are godless and the government is godless. The administration is godless. God, God isn't anywhere in it. And there's, there's, there's no deference to the, to the word of God or the way of God. No acknowledgement of God. Then, of course, it's going to bring confusion and evil. And then finally collapse and negatively affect everybody. This has happened throughout history. And it's no different today which the whole thing, of course, is leading up to the tribulation and then the great tribulation and then the consummation of, uh, of the age. Along the way, there are these somewhat minor players like the Philistines. The only thing that makes them a major player is that they are assaulting and attacking David directly. And David is the progenitor of the Christ. Of course, God, God's not going to let that happen. He's not going to let David um, be defeated or his household be destroyed. Therefore, here it is. They were defeated. They abandoned their deities. And David had his army to come and destroy anything that looked like, I'll, I'll call it Antichrist. That, that looked like forces of evil. That, uh, that dared to think that they were at least equal with Yahweh, which of course is not, is not the case. This is another Hebrew phrase that's developed from this passage. Yahweh Elohim has gone before you. The Philistines came again. These guys are pesky. Well, the whole, isn't the world pesky? They don't stop. They can't stand the church. They can't stand the testimony of Christ. They can't stand righteousness. They can't stand anything that is revered in the word of God. Families, babies, a righteous way of life. They can't stand it. So the Philistines are the same way. They're empowered by hell. Came up once again, spread out in the valley of Rephaim. David inquired of Yahweh. Now this time, 
the tactics are going to be different. That's why I called your attention to the go up. This time, Yahweh said, do not go up. Don't attack them. From That's what they're expecting. I have another way for you. Circle around in back of them and come upon them from this, this uh, maze of, of mulberry trees. And it shall be, it's the word of God. Nothing can save the Philistines once God says this, it shall be. When you hear the sound of steps in the tops of the mulberry trees. Now you see what's happening. God is going to, this is like, well, it's spiritual battle, but it's like psychological battle. You know, for example, when, um, when Abraham came against the 300, when he and his 318 servants came against the four armies of Keteleomer, um, back in, in Genesis, one of their tricks was to just light a lot of lamps, you know, and make it look like there were thousands of them instead of just 318 of them. Well, okay, so here God will send a wind or whatever. He will send a sound to, through the trees and that sound is going to sound like a huge multitude of soldiers marching. I watched, uh, it's probably a dumb thing to do. It might have been a waste of time. I don't know. It's over now. I can't do anything about it. The Lord of the Rings. And there were these trees that came alive and they looked kind of bad. They looked mean and they fought a war against humans or something. I don't know. Well, these trees started making noises. They didn't come alive, but they started making noises. It should be when you hear the sound of steps in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall bestir yourself. For then Yahweh has gone out before you to smite the camp of the Philistines. Now that's the, that's the Hebrew phrase. Yahweh goes before Yahweh Elohim. It's called Elohim in the other, in, in Chronicles. Has gone before you to smite the camp of the Philistines. And David did so. So this time he didn't attack them. They were just all braced and ready for this frontal assault. But he got all of his guys to circle around and then come through the mulberry trees. He did what Yahweh said to do. As Yahweh had commanded him and he smote the Philistines from Geva until you come to Gezer. Now this is the account in Chronicles, First Chronicles. The Philistines continued further. They spread out in the valley. David inquired again of Elohim. And Elohim said to him, you shall not go up after them, circle them, and you shall come to them opposite the mulberry trees. And it will be when you hear the sound of steps in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall go forth in battle because Elohim has gone forth before you to smite the camp of the Philistines. So they make it sound like it's the footsteps of Yahweh. He creates the sound and it sounds just like multitudes of armies. And it messes with the minds of the Philistines. 
David did as Elohim had commanded him. They smote the camp of the Philistines from Gibeon to Gezerah. And David's fame, here's the bottom line. David's fame went forth throughout all the lands. Now the Philistines were a formidable army. They had weapons of iron. They were the advanced technology of the day. But these hillbilly Israelites defeated them and defeated them soundly. David's fame went forth throughout all the lands and Yahweh placed the fear of him upon all the nations. This is protecting the promise of the Christ. Everybody's afraid of David because he inquires of Yahweh. Now the victory was Yahweh's. It wasn't David's victory. It was Yahweh who did it. It was Yahweh who guaranteed the victory. Now the time comes and he doesn't seek after Yahweh. Things, things get messed up and they go wrong. But in this case, Yahweh went before him. Yahweh not only made it sound like there were more of them than there were, or made it confusing, made the sound confusing to the Philistines, but he also gave the Israelites hearts of lions, the heart of a lion, and he placed fear in the heart of the enemy. And so the, the story of the Christ continues to be developed. And in our day, we look back upon this and we thank God for it. And we can see how God has meant to do what he has done throughout all of the ages. And I think of it personally. And I think of how God meant to save me. And the story of my salvation is written even in this story here because he was attending to the Christ of God who would die for me on the cross. We're going to stop there and we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.